Welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. This is a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, we say it every single time, we focus on just the big milestones. When it comes to the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. Those big elements when people say, hey, you know what, we should put out a Blu-ray or a DVD special edition of this movie. Or everybody says, hey, it's been a decade since we talked about this movie last. We really need to get into it. Now, we'll hit lots of the big films that you obviously know, and then we also like to give, you know, more credence and and, um, focus to smaller films, maybe some that you haven't heard of or some that you haven't, you know, decided to watch in a while. And right now is the perfect time to definitely watch lots of the movies that we're covering. My name's Adrian Torres. I'm your host, as always, and I'll apologize ahead of time if my voice sounds a little scratchy. I can say that it's because we've been recording episodes, you know, every single day for the last five days. So we had a, a form of backlog or we could give you extra episodes at certain times. So I apologize if I'm a little scratchier than most, but that's kind of helpful for the eerie tone of the film that we're talking about today. And that film is we're jumping into the deep end like most people do. Going in and choosing a film from John Carpenter's catalog that not everybody really talks about. And we're talking about The Fog from 1980. Now, The Fog is a movie that some of you, depending upon your age, might be like, wait, didn't that come out in 2005 and have Tom Welling put that film out of your mind? That's not what we're talking about at all today. Maybe we'll talk about it for a moment, but it's not going to have a lot of time. No, no, no. We're talking about the original 1980 the Fog. And if you haven't seen The Fog in a long time, you definitely need to watch it because there is just an atmosphere and wonderful, well, fog to the film. It's not exactly what you're normally thinking. And that's because part of the reason is John Carpenter originally wanted the movie to get a PG rating and got an R in the end, especially after an initial test preview. They decided that they needed to put in a little bit more scary parts. But even if you take those elements out, it's still a wonderful movie. And I think one of the best examples of that is, okay, it's John Carpenter. It's easy to get carried away. But we have a wonderful, wonderful guest on the show here today. I'm The people that I've had on recently, I've been so excited to have on because you can mention just a whole bunch of different places where you can find their work. And that's exactly how the situation is with this person as well. I didn't ask them how to pronounce their name at the beginning because I'm going to make sure I get it right. And maybe I can stick one to my really good friend, Heather Wixon here. So let's see how I, I do. But let's bring on a warm welcome for the one and only Emily Von Sela. Hey, Adrian, you did perfect. That is my name. Yeah, suck it, Heather. Take that. <laughs> no, I, I will. I will apologize because I think the world of Heather and Heather, Emily and I were... We're, we're a little group uh, unto ourselves at Fantastic Fest last year because we were all doing coverage. Not as much as Heather did because Heather's completely insane and I love her for it. But we were all doing uh, coverage for um, Daily Dead there. But you, you have many hats that you wear at many different places online. So let everybody know where they can easily find your stuff out there. Yeah, uh, so I do pieces for Daily Dead. I write occasionally for Bloody Disgusting, and um, I've had a couple pieces up on Fangoria Plus. Um, I'm a little bit of everywhere, and I'm also one of the co-hosts for the Dead Ringers podcast that Nolan McBride uh, thought up. So you you can easily tell that we're we're almost at the point here 
where we've had on, I think, the whole bloody disgusting family. There's probably still like four or five people we haven't had, but on the show we've we've made sure to have a, a, a good number of people from there. Um, so it's it's always nice to to bring on more and varied viewpoints when it comes to the world of horror. And as you've heard, she mentioned a whole bunch of places where you can easily find her work. And and Emily's Emily's great. Emily's a wonderful person and I'm so glad to have her on here, especially since you chose this film. I'm so excited to be here. I love I love this movie and um I'm you talked about um our time spent together at Fantastic Fest last year and hanging out with you and Heather was just such a blast. So I'm glad that we could spend, you know, an hour today just kind of catching up and talking movies just like we did last fall. It's it's a truly special time. Plus, like like I said before, we're at a point in time where everyone has plenty of times or plenty of time to watch movies. So I, I think this was a really good place to start. Now, if you're somebody who is listening to the podcast for the first time because you saw the fog or you saw Emily's name attached to it, welcome. Thank you for coming. But we keep this show very simple, and that's every guest that comes on. It's kind of an opportunity for them to have a glorified gush session about the movie that we're discussing. So to get to the heart of everything that we're going to be talking about, I have five simple questions that I ask every single guest that comes on. The exact same questions. Where that conversation goes kind of depends on how their answers are to that. So we like to start out with a very simple question off the bat, and that's, Emily, do you remember the first time you saw The Fog? Wow. Uh, I think I saw it. Let's see. Maybe 15 years ago. I know it was definitely after college, and I think that I just kind of caught it one night on HBO or something like that. And um, I knew John Carpenter from, I think, primarily from the Halloween films. I hadn't really dug into a lot of his other movies yet. Um, because I was kind of just a baby film nerd. <laughs> but um, I watched it, and with The Fog, it's kind of strange for me because it's become one of my favorite movies. But at the first outset, I really wasn't that into it. I was with it about halfway through, but I think that the disconnected storylines kind of did me in, and it took a few viewings for it all to really gel for me and to become you know, the the zeitgeist film that it is and i was really able to finally appreciate it as i got a little bit older and i got a little bit more familiar with filmmaking i i think that's one of the reasons why i was so excited when you chose the fog is because while everybody knows john carpenter's you know his filmography and body of work there's certain films that kind of get lost in there and you can understand if it's something like vampires or you know, the joke that everybody makes about Ghost of Mars, but I feel like The Fog is one that slowly in the last couple of years, maybe because it had an anniversary that was coming up, that people have started to to give it a chance because it's really different than what you did expect while having some of the same hallmarks that are kind of across the board for, for lots of John Carpenter's work. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that... I think a lot of John Carpenter's films kind of got lost between the point where they were released and kind of the modern area where we kind of looked back and said, oh, you know what? These films are actually really rad. Why didn't we appreciate these when they first came out? You know, <laughs> the thing bombed and now it's one of the classic all time horror films. And I think the fog is kind of starting to come around and get its due finally. Now, before we, we jump too far into the movie, the second question is one that I had to rephrase recently because a couple episodes back I had two 
in a row where people um, got a little too excited when they were uh, describing the film. So I'm going to reward this because it worked out last time. And that's for the uninitiated because there's probably a lot when it comes to this movie. And as few words possible, describe the synopsis for The Fog. Ooh. Okay, I think The Fog is a classic ghost story about this cursed town that doesn't know that it's cursed. It's about a secret that has been kept buried and kept silent and only now comes to the surface as that uh, initial injustice comes comes to the surface and is finally addressed for the first time. Beautiful. Beautiful. Perfectly Thank done. Thank you. <laughs> now, part of the reason why I wanted to do that is in order to fully get to the bottom of what it is that makes this movie special, you have to dive into spoilers. So now that you've heard the, the slight synopsis description from Emily, if it sounds like a movie that you really want to see that you haven't seen before, we're going to give you a moment to pause in a, in a second so you can easily do that. At the same time, if you decide, screw it, I just want to listen to this episode. I'm fine with spoilers, that's understandable, then then don't. But we're going to take a moment right here. And there was your chance. There was your chance to pause. Now we're really going to dive into it. Now, something that I really love about this, this movie that I think is a good kind of tipping point um, is it only cost a million dollars to make uh, the people who produced the movie decided to spend three times that when it came to promotion and advertising trying to get people to come in and it worked in a way because the worldwide gross for the film was uh, about 21.5 million dollars 1980 money but what's interesting about that is this comes out in february of all times and as we know historically Lots of people, when when they see it, maybe it's more so nowadays, but when they see a horror movie that comes out towards the beginning of the year, they kind of shirk back a little bit from from this. Does that surprise you at all that it was put out in February? Um, sorry, that was a really long pause. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't think so because I think when you look at this movie it's not tied to a very specific time of year you know like it's not a Halloween movie it's not really necessarily like a summer kind of movie it's just kind of there so I could see the studio not really having a good notion of where and when to tie this particular story to so if you have an empty slate and you just put it in February I'm sure that made sense kind of <laughs> at the time I mean they could have easily put it out like two months later because the movie does focus and and, and I um, I wrote in the in the diary that they're reading in it they mention um, April 30th being one of the last passages um, because the crossover between the 30th to May 1st was a a pagan holiday originally and in the movie you know the other dates that they're reading is in april like i think one of the first entries in the diary it's like april 21st um and of course because it's you know a hundred years after everything happened it's taking place in april which is perfect because that's when we have this episode releasing in in april so we, we thought that kind of worked as kismet Right. See, we're on the ball. And I think that it would have worked very well had they released it in April. But I don't necessarily trust the studio suits to be able to make that connection. (laughs) 
Now, when you saw the fog for the first time, was it something that instantly grabbed you or was it something that you had to kind of watch it a couple times to to warm up to? I definitely had to watch it a couple times. I was intrigued initially by kind of the first opening scenes, but then as the plot wore on, um, we have kind of these uh, disconnected storylines that don't come together until the end of the film. And for whatever reason, I couldn't hold my attention (laughs) as we're bouncing around from these different storylines. So after I'd seen it a couple times and those really started to kind of root themselves, then I could really appreciate the underlying story and the real focal point of the fog, which is the thing that happened 100 years ago, not so much the stuff that's happening now. Now, do you think part of that, because you mentioned that you were, you were, as you put it, like a little baby film nerd at the time. So do you think as you were watching more movies and you might have gotten accustomed with some of the, the character actors, because this movie is just chock-a-block when it comes to great character actors, that as you become more familiar with some of their rhythms and their body of work, that that, that maybe had warmed you up to it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that the first time I watched it, like I knew Jamie Lee Curtis, and I knew Janet Lee from Psycho, and I knew that they were related. That was it. Like, I didn't know who Adrian Barbeau was. I hadn't seen anything else that Tom Adkins had done. I didn't make the connection that Charles Cyphers was Lieutenant or Sheriff Brackett from Halloween. Like none of this was setting in. I didn't know who Hal Holbrook was. So I think that that's definitely something that you can appreciate um, as you've kind of taken on more movies from this time period and you really start to understand just the the amazing block of talent that Carpenter was able to secure for this film. One of the other things I love about the movie is the fact that even though it was a relatively um, small budgeted production for the time, that Carpenter made the decision that he wanted to shoot it in widescreen. He wanted to shoot it in in Panavision. And having the majority of the film set in the Bay, I think, gives it this this big feel, you know, when you've got both the the Bay shots on the water um, and the shots that you have on the town streets just being empty, especially at the beginning of the movie, I think kind of sets you in for this eerie atmosphere. For sure. It definitely feels like it swallows you in one way or another like you're fully entrenched in this town and you're not really sure once the film opens where that's going to lead you but it feels like you're there i mean it's it's ghost pirates that's that that's where yeah. it leads you <laughs> oh i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry let me correct myself uh ghost pirate lepers yes yes we cannot forget the leper part <laughs> It's 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 an element that I always forget until Hal Holbrook is uh, is reading from the diary and the the whole point of everything that happens in the movie is because a hundred years ago there was a guy who was a dick and basically went ew lepers don't live near me <laughs> and, oh and then and then stole all their money don't don't forget that part right he was like the the cream of the crop dick. Like, not only did he take their money, he intentionally crashed their ship. And then they have to come back and exact their revenge. And the fact that they were lepers makes it even better because you have, like, the ghost pirate image. But then you get to make, like, the gnarly ghost pirates and the hands with, like, the the wraps coming off and everything's a little bit more gross. And so you get the effects element coming into play there. Do lepers traditionally have red eyes? I'm not, I don't, I don't know many lepers, so I wasn't, I wasn't sure if that's more so like a a ghost thing, a pirate thing, or a leper thing. 
I think it's an angry ghost thing. I don't think that if they had uh, been murdered, their eyes would necessarily be red right now. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I guess I guess that's a good point because technically the the leper thing in uh, it chapter one doesn't have red eyes. Right. Right. Important distinction. <laughs> now, uh, another thing that I that I love about this movie, you were on um, a a podcast with the uh, aforementioned. Uh, Heather Wixon and Stephanie Crawford was on that episode, right? I want to make sure before we continue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Where you guys were, were talking about near dark, but then you were also talking about women in horror and everything. And of course, as it should be nowadays, um, the, the name that often comes up in that conversation is one Deborah Hill. And of course I wanted to make sure that we gave a special shout out to her because while if you go onto something like IMDb and you casually click on her to, to see like number of credits of things that she worked on, you'll see the number 30 when it comes up to writer, but it's actually because of how many damn Halloween um, versions there have been or sequels or remakes or what have you that she'll get listed for, for characters. But the fog is one of the few movies that she actually did co-write with John Carpenter. So much love for Deborah Hill, especially during this period. She was such a f- an amazing hand in shaping horror in the early 80s, which would go on to shape horror for decades to come. Like without her fingerprints and the work that she did, we wouldn't be where we are today and we wouldn't have these amazing films. And I mean, that that's what I love about this, especially because I, I read you're never sure how true things are but that she based uh, um, part of the idea for the script on a trip that she went to Stonehenge and this fog that was just surrounding it. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. And so, but, and I think that really goes into like the overall tone of the film. Cause while you did mention that there are the disconnected storylines that you, you have in there that it's very much a mood piece. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Like even from, the first moment where we're not sure what we're getting into, there's this quiet darkness that settles over this town. And that's even before the fog and the pirates and the whatever show up. And it's just a movie that is steeped in atmosphere and it's an atmosphere that intensifies as the film goes on. Completely. Now that brings us to our third question. We ask everyone which is, are there any particular signature moments that, that you latch onto in the film or certain characters that, that you've grown to love in the, th- in the fog? Ooh. Moments I love. Anytime we get a shot, it happens periodically throughout the film, but we see the fog start to... It's like a, a shot of the ocean. We see the fog start to come across the ocean and to the shore and start to approach land. And it's amazing because the fog is so thick and they gave it kind of this electric blue glow and it looks so ethereal and ghostly in and of itself. Take like the ghosts and the pirates out of it, but you still have this representation of this otherworldly entity that is coming to swallow this town hole. And it looks cold and it looks thick and it's just all encompassing. And I love it. Every time I see it, it just kind of sends this shiver up my spine. And, and I love the the level of dread that starts to 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 gather in the film. I mean, one of the quotes that you have about three quarters of the way through is, we're all cursed, Miss Williams. All of us. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this this entity, these ghosts, these people, they don't care. Like, they're there to exact their revenge, and it's coming whether you like it or not. Most of the townspeople don't have any idea that it's coming or why it's coming because the secret has been buried for so long, but it's there, and it's going to get them. Now, another little... When, when you've seen this movie plenty of times, and, and when you have a John Carpenter film that's taking its time, which... I, is another thing that I've come to really respect about the fog is that its tone is its own beast and it doesn't move at like the speed that you would think a horror movie is going uh, going for. So the fact that you have Adrian Barbeau in the middle of the movie when she's in the car and then walking down to the lighthouse and then into the lighthouse and she's listening to all the little um, jingle um, um, the, the the jingles for the main radio station theme basically and you get like 30 of them in a row and just <laughs> the fact that they're willing to take that time yeah yeah it plays by its own rules and i love it for that and the thing about adrian barbeau especially she plays so much of this movie just on her own she really only interacts with i think one other character in person, which would be the kid who plays her son. And then yeah. she's on the phone with Charles Cyphers. And then like, that's it. She's in the lighthouse by herself. She's in the car by herself. And she's carrying so much of this movie as a solo character. And it, it works because there's so much of, because you get to see the, her turning on the voice for when she's actually on the air. And oh my God. She has the greatest radio voice. She actually based that on, Oh, I'm trying to remember what they the the Nightbird is what the lady went by, and she was a '60s evening uh, radio host in uh, uh, disc jockey, and that's where Adrian Barbeau said that she found her voice was that she'd been a fan of this lady and was just listening to her, and that that helped the tone that she was going for. That's so cool. It, it no, I love her radio voice. It, it works really great. And then, of course, just the time that you get to spend with a, a whole bunch of the character actors, like the time that you're getting to spend with Tom Atkins and, and Jamie Lee Curtis, which as much as I love Tom Atkins, I almost feel is a byproduct of Jamie Lee Curtis, because, of course, around this time is when she does road games. Oh, is it? Because I believe that's early. Okay. Or this is 1980. So road games, I want to say, is oh god, um, eighty one. So it's literally a year later, and she's spending, you know, kind of in a way having that same relationship with Stacy Keach, where she's the hitchhiker, and she's coming into this guy's world, and then a whole bunch of crazy stuffs happening. And so, as much as I love both Stacy Keach and Tom Atkins, it almost feels like Jamie Lee Curtis is that glue that she can just bring out the best in anybody around her. Oh, absolutely. And her interactions with Tom Atkins here are great and really unexpected because she jumps into the cab of his truck and immediately asks, are you weird? And then is so happy when he says yes. <laughs> well, I mean, even later, she ends up trying to blame herself because she says that from the moment I got into the to the truck with you, weird things have been happening. Yeah, and she sees herself as kind of being the the external force that's like changing the dynamic of this town when really... <laughs> Everything about this town existed prior to her being there, but she kind of sees herself as the outsider and the catalyst. Now, the next question is one that kind of throws everybody off. So I'm, I'm going to let you, as I've been telling everyone else, to go in whichever direction you want. But can you think of 
either a more modern or contemporary film uh, that that fits the mold of the fog. Ooh. The one that's kind of springing to mind for me is Ty West's House of the Devil, because I think that it also has a very deliberate pace mm-hmm. that is not going to bend to the whims of the audience. It's going to take you in the directions that it wants to take you and at its own speed. And it uses that build very much to its advantage, just like Carpenter does here. It's something that, um, you know, you know that it's going to go dark places, but you don't know when and you don't know how. And it keeps that just out of reach until it's ready to reveal it. So much like the fog, we have the initial, you know, the opening scenes where we establish that something weird is going on with this town. And then we have an entire day's worth of events until we get back to that mysterious place. House of the Devil kind of does the same thing. Which is a really interesting comparison to bring up because I definitely see it. And what's funny about that, of course, is for people who may not have seen House of the, De- uh, the Devil, definitely do. It's another film that's celebrating one of those milestone anniversaries. Um, but the fact that the movie is trying to be steeped so much in the the elements of the 80s by, by setting it in the 80s, by trying to make sure that you have all the retro feel to it that kind of having that languid pacing and that slow burn is funny with it being compared to the fog. Cause I think that almost um, shows that Ty West did a great job and was able to, to replicate that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that Ty West, I think he's a great filmmaker and I love his stuff, but I know his stuff hits people as either. I love it. It's amazing. Or I hate it. It's boring. And so I think that if you're able to embrace kind of that deliberateness, then it's something that can bring you a lot of satisfaction. And I think satisfaction in the same way that the fog can. And I think what's interesting about somebody like Ty West is whereas the fog with it being as old as it was originally, this is like I said, this is a movie that came out in 1980. So it's a movie that's celebrating its 40th anniversary right now. Over time, people can can watch this film and they can say oh why why isn't people why aren't people talking about this film and maybe 17 years earlier you know they were but because of where we are and and everyone having access to movies nowadays they can come to a movie like the fog on their own because they know john carpenter whereas um somebody like ty west or anybody who has and i'm doing air quotes in the air independent or smaller film when they're on either the film festival circus or first hit theaters. You have that giant word of mouth building. And when people are knocked away, everybody, you know, it's like, maybe this is hyperbolic. I'm going to give it a chance. And then it's like, Oh, you know, that hype is what, um, maybe not enjoy it as, as much. And so like, I know that there's been an online discussion recently of a movie that I liked of, um, the invisible man, uh, with people who heard, oh, I heard so many great things, so I had to see it. And then when I saw it, it didn't really match. And it feels like that's kind of the, the area that lots of Thai West work has ended up in, that when it hits either a festival or it comes up right away, everybody's talking about how great it is. And then you have that wave of people who went in hearing that it was great and felt that it didn't match the hype that was there. Yeah, so it's time that they take another look at some of these films and come around to our very correct point of view 
And on that <laughs> note, The Invisible Man is amazing, and everyone needs to be on our side. It's uh, it, the, <laughs> the saying that you often hear is that time is a great equalizer. And so that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed taking a look at these movies, because you watch something like The Fog that, that seems very simple on the page, but then you have to take into account all the craft that's being going into it, all the writing that's going into it, all the actors and that are making this thing a whole because you, you throw one of those elements off and this movie, for lack of a better word, would have been crap. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is coming from... I think every element of this movie works. I don't think there's anything that comes off as, you know, cheap or phoned in, but I think so much of what works about this movie is coming from the really strong cast. Like, you know, we talk about Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins and their kind of back and forth, but we also have a lot of that same strength coming from uh, Nancy Loomis and Janet Lee. Like they're pretty much playing opposite each other most of the film. And they've got this fantastic dynamic of give and take where it's almost comedic, but it never (laughs) quite crosses that line, but they're almost kind of bickering with one another and it's great. It's so great. I I literally, one of my notes that I took is just, Oh, Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis (laughs) because they are, it's you're getting all these. uh, Okay. So this is going to be releasing in April, but we're in March, or I, I guess we're on April 1st when we're recording this right now. And so with everything that's been going on in the world, everybody had been making the joke you know, for the last couple of weeks about Easter and then also Jaws. And so Jaws has been very much on people's attention, uh, comparing either um, citywide, statewide, or nationalwide governmental figures uh, basically being the mayor from Jaws. But what's funny about that is it actually works and kind of ties in with the fog because you, you very much have that, that they've got, you know, their, um, their hundred year celebration that they're doing. You've got Mrs. Williams who's running around all over the place saying, Oh no, we've got to have all this stuff set and everything, even though there's all these weird reports and everything that's going on. She's like, no, we, we still need to do this. You've got uh, father Malone who's really creeped out and she's still like, well, are you going to have time to do the benediction tonight? <laughs> yeah. She is 150% unfazed by the horrible truth that he gives her like two hours before the ceremony. She's like, okay, okay. That's great. That's a cruel story you just told me, but you know, we are running late and we have to get everything prepped and this will go off perfectly and we will not have any interruptions to this beautiful festival. Meanwhile, she's scared shitless because she doesn't know where her husband is. Yeah. But then, but then she's doing it all. She's like, oh, I don't know where he is. I really hope he's okay. Oh, well, back to the next meeting because we still have this thing we have to plan. And like, she's not taking a breather or anything. Right. And then when we get to the ending part where we learn that something terrible has happened to her husband, Nancy Loomis is like, hey, maybe you should, you know, just just not go give your speech. And she's like, no, I think that's exactly what I ought to do. So this is a woman who is leaning extra hard into her type A personality to help her cope with all of these horrible things that are in the back of her head. And we just, you know, kind of learn it through spending time with her. Do you think she's worried that she might actually uh, break and have a a meltdown if she lets herself think about it too much? I kind of think so. I think that she's aware enough of it and of the possibilities to 
you know, be worried about it. And her reaction is to throw herself further into her work because otherwise everything's going to shatter. Now we mentioned them only for a second. Um, and while they don't have the hugest amount of screen time in the film, I wanted to talk about the, the ghost pirate lepers for, for a moment, because while they're shouted, shrouded in fog, you, you still very much have a sense of, of their menace and the danger that they present. They are so creepy. It's not like we don't get a whole, let's see. I don't think we get a fully formed look at them on that first night, but we get enough of them to understand that they are, they're a menace. They're big and they're scary and they're mysterious. And I think the biggest indication of that is when one of them slowly and firmly knocks on Tom Adkins door (laughs) and then the clock strikes one and then they disappear. But had Tom Atkins gotten to the door a little bit sooner I, I think we would have gotten like full force leper pirate ghost. Oh yeah, d- definitely. Well, I mean, it's, I, I think that might be 50, 50 because we have Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Cobritz uh, later on who, if you're telling a child to go hide in a room, maybe you should go with them instead of saying, Oh no, I'm going to casually answer the door because she answers the door. And then she, you see a little bit of the arm that comes and grabs her, but she's just taken into the fog. Yeah, and she just disappears. And the fact that they went with sweet old Mrs. Cobritz as one of their victims just means all bets are off in this movie. You know, anybody can bite it. And so we're going to take the sweet grandma nanny lady. And and she ends up having the best subtitle in the movie. Um, if you're watching it online, if, if you're looking, you know, to rewatch the movie for the 10th time, or you're somebody who didn't pause and you just wanted to listen to the episode, it's on Shudder right now. And of course, everybody's been talking about the fact that Shudder's been really nice to give everybody, even if you used to be uh, a member before, um, I think it's a 30-day trial with uh, Shut-In is all you have to use, but... They, they have the fog on there, and as always, especially when I'm taking notes, I'll make sure to put subtitles on. And when Mrs. Cobritz gets pulled away, the subtitle that appears on the screen is Flesh Squelching. What? Exactly. And it's because, I mean, you can kind of hear that they're, you know, that they're they're stabbing her, basically. But just seeing her dragged into the fog and then see Flesh Squelching. Whoever subtitled that film needs some kind of an award. Because <laughs> it, it, That's it, brilliant. Like, it just made me feel unclean when I saw that. When I was reading it, I'm like, just those two words together with what just happened. No, no. No. And, like, ultimately, even though it comes down to the same thing, I would rather be stabbed than to have <laughs> my flesh squelched. I don't... <laughs> They, they should basically ask people, you know, uh, from now on when they're going to be punished and stuff like that. It's like, do you want to get stabbed with a knife or do you want your flesh squelched? And most people are going to go, yeah, stabbed. I don't even know what flesh squelching <laughs> is, but it sounds horrific. <laughs> Another moment that I think really stands out. And of, of course, with the slow burn, you have to have some giant payoff. But I absolutely have come to love and respect that church showdown at the very end. Yes. Oh, my God. Especially because you've got the I mean, you've got all the, the arms that are coming through the stained glass window. You've got all the people in the group. And then you've got Father Malone trying to figure out what he can do to save everybody and then produces a big fucking cross made out of gold. 
Yeah. And then he's like quietly heading out the door while everyone else is trying to fend it off. And I think one person tells him not to go out there. I think maybe it's the kid. And he's just like, nope, I got this. I have my massive cross. I'm going to solve the problem and save the day. And it's a really intense scene, but I love it. I love the character aspect for Father Malone because you kind of get the sense early on that he's kind of like, He's like the stereotypical drunken priest who doesn't give a shit anymore. (laughs) And then through reading his grandfather's journal and starting to understand what happened, he very quickly kind of turns a corner and fully realizes what they've built their town on and what all of their success has come from. And he understands that a debt needs to be paid. So he assumes responsibility for that debt. And and I think that's I think it has such a great bait and switch after the moment where you think, oh, everything's fine, everybody's going about their way, and he's like, why didn't you, why didn't you take me? Why, why'd you leave me? And then, oops, nope, we didn't. We didn't. We're still here. Now we're done. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's just a great little mean, menacing moment that that adds on top of it. But I love how during the uh, the church showdown, they're cutting back to to Adrian Barbeau and and her being on the top of the lighthouse. Yeah. Oh, my God. That scene is so scary because not only is she on the top of a lighthouse on the like the tippy top point. So she's going to fall at any second. But then there's like, what, three leopard pirate ghosts, two or three that are coming to get her. It, yeah, I get all tensed up every time because it's so well shot and it's so intense and you're so afraid for her. <laughs> and that naturally leads us to the most important question of of all this is having rewatched the film again for whatever you know hundredth time it is do you still feel that it's worth the reverence that you've come to appreciate it at or do you think that there's something about it that slowly you know the sheen is being rubbed away from it i think if anything it's getting brighter i think that getting i think maybe just having its quiet period and getting some distance from it and i think that just having a new generation of horror nerds kind of come into our own and start to appreciate things that we love about the genre. I think that we can see a lot of them here. And I think that kind of examining the way horror has developed over the last 40 years, we can see a lot of influence from this movie, from people who, you know, saw it for what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, and started to adapt some of what Carpenter did here and take it further. So I think it's a film that you watch it and you can see how important its influence has been. And it's a film that you can watch and immediately kind of get taken into this world and see see the story for what it is. I think it's a film that has aged remarkably well and it just kind of keeps getting better. I mean, we, I, I feel bad that, that we've made it all the way through this and not mentioned uh, the John Carpenter score of the movie. Oh my God. Yes. This is one of my favorite John Carpenter scores and he's got a lot, but this <laughs> is one that it's so eerie and so haunting. And I think it's so perfectly it matches the look of the film so well mm-hmm. as in as much as, you know, sound can match a look, but it does. It really encapsulates this feeling of this ethereal terror. I, I completely agree. I, I, for, 
every time I watch it, I forget how how great the score is. And this is a movie that I think it was in just in the last six months. I, I, everything's bleeding together. March felt like seven years. So, oh my god, who, who knows at this <laughs> point? But um, I do know that within the last six months, we showed it because it was one of the films that I chose for uh, Terror Tuesday in Kansas City. And That's awesome. We got to see it in the number one house. We're usually up in in four, just because you know there's big stuff that's coming out at all the time, and it's only on special occasions that we get to have like the number one house. So getting to see the fog in on the you know the main big screen last year was just it, it was astounding. Dude, I would I would stab myself for a chance to see <laughs> this in a theater. <laughs> That's so amazing. Here, and what was the reaction? Did people like it? Oh, people people loved it. People were were so excited. We, I always make sure to ask when doing the intro, you know, how many people are seeing the movie for the first time. And this was a case where it was probably about seventy five to eighty percent of the people were uh-huh. raising their hands. So just afterwards, like lots of them had giant smiles on their face. Some of them were like, "What the fuck was that?" And but I take that as a good thing when yeah. when you're sitting down for it. Um, but that, that is so cool. That does make me ask probably the meanest question um, that I I can think to ask right now, which is in John Carpenter's body of work, where would you place the fog? Would you p- place it in like the upper tier, the middle tier, or the bottom portion? Ooh, that's really hard. I'm not asking you to rank any others, which would be the truly difficult to mean part. We would be here all day because I suck at ranking things. <laughs> I think I would put it in the upper tier. I think that there are definitely stronger films, uh-huh. but I think this one is one that carries something special and definitely has its own feel to it. And I really, really dig that about this film. I think it's, you know, it might not want be one of his best in a technical sense you know like you can't get over the creature effects and the build and the thing like Mm -hmm. that's just amazing but i think that this film is well conceived it's well executed and i think that it stands on its own i completely agree i definitely think it, it deserves a spot in the top tier i mean for for most people you know spots one and two are definitely going to go to um halloween and the thing um and then you kind of have an area where you, you could put, you know, Escape from New York, The Fog, and Big Trouble in Little China kind of in the same spot. But but in the topper or the yeah. upper, I definitely feel like they're they're all there together. Now, because of everything that's going on, and while this episode will be, you know, dropping in the middle of April, we don't know how long people are going to be stuck inside. So every single guest, I'm, I'm tasking them with one simple final question and there is no time period for this you can choose any point in time whatsoever uh the main thing would be that people have a way that they can possibly stream it but what are three films that you definitely think either don't have enough attention or that you want people to go out and and re-watch uh that are available for streaming right now that's a really good question Ooh. And like Number I said, it can, it can be from any time period, so don't feel hamstrung for it to be new. Okay. Um, number one is going to be Tammy and the T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> it's available on Shutter, And I say that because it's just so fucking fun. 
like we all kind of need a reprieve from the world right now, even Mm. though we're housebound and, you know, stuck here. But like Tammy and the T-Rex will make you smile so big and you will legitimately forget about all of the bullshit for 90 minutes and feel (laughs) so happy. No, that's that's true, because you'll be completely uh, gutted by the fact that Paul Walker's still dead. Yes, there's that. Sorry, I had to find a way to bring it down because you were just being so positive. (laughs) We remember the end, though, and maybe his brain (laughs) is still out there chugging whiskey. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. But yeah, that's such a good choice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um... I think I will put number two as Mama because it is a horror film that I love that not enough people watch and appreciate. So I think that everybody should give that another shot. That's I mean that's a, that's an interesting one. I wasn't expecting um, Mama to get now. That's oh god, why am I blanking on who who directed that? Um. Because I am too. It's the guy who directed it, Andy okay. Machete. Okay, that's what I thought it was by the guy who did it. Because he, he only did one to two movies before it, right? Yeah. Okay. And Mama is a good one, and I really like it. And Jessica Chastain is awesome in it. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was. Good, I was. It's a good movie. <laughs> I, I was. I was going to say if uh, uh, Marcelo from uh, Talk Film Society, you know, could could probably um, help. Help convince people to watch that one, but mostly because it has Jessica Chastain. <laughs> I think it's underappreciated. So since we have time, everyone get caught up and start appreciating Mama with me. Um, let's see, what's a good third one? Anything. The the whole whole wide open world is is you know is you you can choose from. The one that I'm surprised no one's chosen. Um, and I'll be interested to see if I get through the next couple months of episodes without anybody mentioning it is housebound. Oh yeah. Oh, housebound is so good. I haven't watched that in a few years. So that, that'll be my, my uh, contribution is, is telling people to, to watch uh, housebound and then for a really weird uh, double feature, uh, combine that with extraordinary. Dude, extraordinary was so fun. It's just it puts a smile. You, you were you made a really good point about Tammy and the T Rex to to watch a film that's completely the opposite of anything that's going on in the world to to transport you in the way that only movies can to forget about everything. And I definitely think that extraordinary because of how funny and silly and then sweet it is it fits that mold. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That movie was a lot of fun and not. In kind of like an old school comedy way, it's bombastic yeah. in a way a lot of modern comedies aren't. <laughs> For my third one, um, <laughs> I'm going to say this with a disclaimer that it's only if you feel like it because Uh-oh. it's not, it's, yeah, it's going to be kind of an ir- ir- ugh, irony watch in these dark times, but Cabin Fever. <laughs> I watched it again last night and I'm like, you know what? Everything sucks right now, and we're all in fear of disease, but at least our faces aren't melting off. So, you know, that's something. And we're talking about the original Cabin Fever, correct? Yes, not the stupid remake that nobody <laughs> understands. The original one that's actually funny and good. <laughs> yes, the, that has the notorious, uh, we'll call it razor burn scene. Yes, yes, yes. 
So as horrible as shit is, you know, at least your skin is still on. So we can all be grateful for that. And and because I want to be terrible with uh, posting another double header suggestion uh, for all those people who've been obsessed with uh, Disney Plus and are probably rewatching Boy Meets World, definitely throw that on in the middle of it. You know, just so you can still Hell have your yeah. still have your writer strong fix, but at the same time, <laughs> watch something that you know not everybody's going to be a fan of. <laughs> My husband hates, hates, hates the razor scene. He won't watch it. He won't look at it. It's it's so well done, but also so painful. Yeah, it's so cringy in the best possible way. Uh, and then, of course, since we mentioned, uh, well, I'm not sure if we should we should mention that, but we did mention Ty West, and so he he was involved with the the much uh, with all the problems that went on with the second one, right? Yeah, he directed the second one and then had his name taken off of it, I think, or just... Yeah, I know that there was lots of problems in the production, but... Yeah, I know that he doesn't he doesn't own the outcome because that wasn't the film he wanted to make. Exactly. It's it's kind of a, a, a Joe Lynch, uh, Knights of Badassdom type thing. Yeah. Well, and I hate uh, it when that happens. Just give us the film the directors want to make and we'll watch it. Well, I mean, right now on the internet, um, because everybody's at home, you've had the the uh, Grace from Monaco um, director threatening to put out uh, a different cut of the movie that I guess he's been threatening for a while after there were a whole bunch of final cut problems on that film. So there, there's always a point where where people make a film and then studios decide this isn't what we want. And I think probably about 75% of the time they should stand by the directors. Yeah. Because when you have that situation, the outcome is rarely a film that is applauded and appreciated. Like it always still retains scars from whatever the hell the studio did. So just let the filmmaker do what they want. And then maybe we'll have something we can appreciate rather than something that has clearly been hacked to pit bits. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if you want to, threaten you know uh making changes but then not actually making changes you can do that you know because i i don't think the majority of time that if you market a movie correctly that people um you know are going to necessarily not show up right away and that if you you have the director make the film even if people don't like it sometimes when people are like oh this movie's so bad or it's not great even if it's the director's vision do you'll have people who go to see it because they've heard you know, the, the word of mouth of it. And I mean, the, I think the worst thing that can happen from a studio is if you're making a smaller film like that is you don't hire the director in the future. Yeah. You learn your lesson. You just say, okay, this person's vision isn't really our bag. So we're going to go a different direction next time, but at least release the initial film the way they intended and let it stand on its own legs. In a perfect world. In but a perfect I, world. I definitely think those were three great um, all over the place suggestions for people. <laughs> so, but no, Thank but I you. think that I think that's great. You get a little bit of you know, you know, every, every single column. People have plenty of hours in the day. You don't have to watch them all at once. But I definitely think start with Tammy and the T Rex. I think that oh, is the way yeah. to start. <laughs> and you had mentioned uh, Shutter earlier, and Shutter is just doing everything it can to keep us sane and loved during this time. They're making April uh, halfway to Halloween month. They released Ooh. a bunch of new stuff. Like they're taking care of us, and I really appreciate that because they have been keeping me sane. 
Yeah, I think that lots of uh, lots of different streaming outputs are are trying to step up their game a lot because I know that I when I woke up this morning. I'd missed a notification from Netflix saying, here's 57 new titles that, that are coming in the next week. And I was like, okay, you're really doubling down. And I know that Shudder was doing it. I know that Hulu's pushing forward several things. And it's funny that on TV, you're getting lots of reports that, you know, the CW or ABC or NBC are pushing back uh, when certain shows are going to be premiering. But you have everyone on the uh, the streaming side is like, no, let's let's move up the content now so people have stuff that they can jump into. Yeah, and it's really great to still be able to feel like you have lots of choices. Like it occurred to me the other day, like, what if I watch everything on Shutter? What am I going to do if I don't have anything <laughs> else to watch? Which is not possible. Let's be real. But it's a thought that did cross my mind. So the fact that all of these uh, platforms are constantly giving us new content, so we're not feeling like we're languishing as we're stuck at home. I really <laughs> love that. Be- before before you, you have that existential dread wash <laughs> over you, make sure to definitely watch both Tammy and the T-Rex and The Fog since they're on there right away. So just just get those out of the way and then, yeah. you know, do whatever you want from there. But those two start with those. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely say that. Well, Emily, I very much want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adrian. This was fun, and I love talking to you, and it makes life feel a little bit normal just to sit here and bullshit with you about movies. I love it. Well, what what I keep on and what everybody I've been talking to uh, recently has been saying is, is crossing our fingers and knocking on wood that um, magically Fantastic Fest is, you know, the one film festival that's able to to still continue this year. I'm really hoping. I'm really hoping. I miss you guys. I want to see everybody. I just want that bit of normalcy. But yeah, if it winds up being something that they can't pull together, I understand. But I'm hoping that we're back in a place where we can get some new movies in this fall. What what I'm going to tell everyone, and I will I will start this now, um, if for some reason that they're not able to have it, and that's because for most of you out there who might not uh, know kind of how the schedule breaks down uh, throughout the year, that Fantastic Fest is one of the last major film festivals there are in the year, and that's because it's the, the very end of September going into October. And since in November is when you have everyone start to uh, ramp up award season films and everything, they, they don't really want to have any big film festivals that are going on at the time because everybody's got to be on different, you know, press junkets and everything for the big premieres that are in Hollywood. So they don't really want to do that. So Fantastic Fest is literally one of the last ones where they have it. And that's why you have TIFF and TIFF rules straight into that. And then you have beyond fest, but beyond fest is more of a, a retrospective and, and then has some of the smaller films uh, that we're going to be heading the festival circuit. So it, that, that's why it's a big deal. But at the same time, I will always trump it because it's way too expensive for people to go to Sundance that um, fan or sorry, panic fest is in Kansas city in January and so if for some reason they can't have Fantastic Fest, lots of those movies, they can easily push off to something like Panic Fest. And, and you guys are welcome to come to, to Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri to hang out. Thanks. That's so cool. And it's, it's cheaper. Have... It's cheaper. So. <laughs> also cheaper. And great to have a festival in January when nothing else is happening. God, that's so awesome. Yeah. And like this last year was great. And it's weird how that. 
that's like one of the only memories I have. I've had of film festivals this year um, was because it was in the end of January. So it was before the world went crazy and you had a whole bunch of uh, uh, premiere films, some that had made it at uh, a couple film festivals. Like I know from fantastic fest, they had sea fever and swallow. Um, but they also had uh, Adam green and Joe Lynch were here um, because they did a 10th anniversary screening of frozen. And then uh, Joe Lynch was on my friend's podcast because we showed the um, what's called NC 17 cut of hardware for its uh, 30th anniversary. Uh, we had, Oh God, why am I blanking right now? Um, Generation Y podcast was a true crime. It's a lot more popular than I thought when it came, but because they're based out of Kansas city. So I didn't have that uh, like connection in my brain, but they also did uh, the movie crypt podcast. They had um, nightmare university and then a truncated uh, shockwaves because uh, Elric and Rebecca were here. So it was it was a good time. I've been telling it to oh everybody. And so if something happens and there's no more film festivals for the rest of this year, everybody should check out Panic Fest. I will be there. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> and I'm so jealous that you had such a good January. I, I, I feel bad. I feel, well, hey, there were other people that went to Sundance. <laughs> there were people who went to Sundance, but I'm not I'm not going to pay that money to go. Oh, so. I forgot Sundance happened. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes sense anymore. It's so weird. Um, for all the people out there, please let them know where they can find you on social media so they can see what you're doing next or what you're working on or or what films you might be watching. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I will let everybody know this, so I will have to figure out what to do in editing, but um, it uh, cut out for half a second oh, there. No. And then... And then started back up. So uh, once again, just for the people, very, very quickly, let them know where they can find you on Twitter in, in case it got rid of that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Horrorella Blog. Um, I love chatting about movies and anything that's going on. So don't feel shy about hitting me up. We'll have a fun talk. If that happened twice, then you definitely can't say that you don't know where to find her <laughs> online. So so there, there, there we go. These are trying times. Even computers are trying to kill us, so it's it's okay. It's an um, open you can find... rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> we deserve it, maybe. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Yo Adrian Torres. You can also find information about the show at Horrorversary. It's just exactly like it sounds. It's very simple. Um, we're going to keep these episodes rolling out um, at, at an easy clip. This is ep- the fifth episode that I've done in the past six days. Um some people had to switch days around, so I will have a couple breather days, and then I've got another five episodes I'm doing after that. So we're constantly going to be putting out stuff for you guys to listen to so that we you can you know easily hear film suggestions. You can hear t- people talking about movies. You know, we, we definitely know that this is a good time to be putting out podcasts and, and to be getting the word out and to bring a little bit of enjoyment into everybody's life. So once again, Emily, thank you so much. Thank you, Adrian, and everybody take care of yourselves. Yes, and and as always, stay well and be nice to each other.